0: One of my favorite things was I was downstairs uh, about ready to come on up and they basically, uh, I heard them playing in the foosball area and I just poked my head in just to see how they were doing. And then uh, right when I turned my head out, it was just a quick, they'd go, Pastor John is spying on us. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, that was not the rule. I was just uh, happy to hear uh, laughing voices. We're going to be in Titus uh, 2 today. And we're going to be talking about roles and steps, and uh, there's going to be uh, sort of a two-part uh, section today. We're going to start in verse one of Titus two, uh, and we're going to be going through verse eight. Verse two of Titus, or chapter two of Titus, verse one starts with this: "You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine." Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure It leads to point number one, and our point number one is our roles. First of all, roles come from sound doctrine. If I don't carry out the role of being a father, of a husband, of a leader, things at home break down. The problem arises, and I think arises a lot is when you feel that you are not in the role that you are supposed to be in and that your role is viewed as less or not as worthy as someone else's role and that belief is a lie straight from satan straight from evil itself is when you believe that your role is not what god has placed now If your role is against God and separate from God, then you are right in the place where Satan and evil want you. But it depends if you are obeying God's role or obeying your own rule, And I think that plays a huge part because sometimes when we go to the Scripture, we come in with already like, hey, I already know how my role, how I'm supposed to be. And anything the Scripture says, I'm not going to dictate that because I've already set in place what I believe is that position. And I want us to take a look and be step back and be like, hey, maybe us humans that were made from dust might not want to tell God how we are to live and how we are supposed to move forward. And so when we challenge God or we wrestle with God, we need to know our position correctly with God. Looking at the book of Titus, and I cannot wait to come back and look at Titus uh, in the future and dig into a little bit uh, longer, but I want to take a look at it as a, as a, a whole as well with these verses. Uh, as you have read, if you've read the, the chapters that, of this week's reading, uh, you will see uh, t- uh, this, this book uh, deals with some shady people. Uh, if you haven't read, let me give you a little bit of, a, a little bit of insight. First of all, uh, this, this book gives us great into, insight into how Paul wants believers to live in a fallen and chaotic world and chaotic culture. Most of you know that this is a letter from Paul to Titus, okay? Now, Titus had worked with Paul, had gone with Paul a lot and been out with Paul, done missions with Paul, and Paul... Um, had uh, sent Titus. Now Titus was a Greek Christian, so he uh, was not uh, from Jewish culture. He was a Greek Christian, and he was commissioned to go off to the island of Greece, and which is where he is going to be is Crete. So he's going to be on the island of Crete. And just so you know, Cretan culture has also, uh, let's just say, not had the, the best uh, reputation. Actually, they would use the word, and I want to make sure I get this right from, like, uh, the, instead of using the phrase to be a liar, they would say to be a Cretan. So, like, they would actually use, like, hey, you are a liar by just your own name. So, like, if I'm a Hoosier, and that was, like, to be a liar, they would be, like, hey, you're you're a Hoosier. That would represent who you are. You're a liar. You're a cheat. You're a scandal. So, that's. Who Titus gets the great privilege of going to Cretan uh, was a town that was known for its rowdiness as being unsafe as also having mercenaries and soldiers, but it also had huge ports and it had so it was, a, it was an island that had great uh, trade had great and so Paul saw there was also value of being there because once again Paul has also known that his role is to reach every nation not pick and choose what nations we go to and paul wants the gospel to be spread now as you read titus and if you know titus uh, you also get to know that there are many corrupt christian leaders as well which is uh something really exciting so paul has one side that he's dealing with this letter of people that are liars and cheats. And then he also has now a bunch of false Christian leaders being liars and cheats. So he's got multiple things to deal with as he goes in uh, into this. There's also another thing going on really huge as you go through the letter. Uh, Cretan is very known for its Greek mythology. Okay? They were very into Zeus. Okay? Zeus was their god you know they and also the greek mythology so a lot of times they would start to want to put jesus within the greek mythology and if you read the letters you can see the letters all the time paul is making a clear difference between zeus and jesus like zeus is one that is a liar zeus went around seducing women in all of his stories, it was it was much known that way. And if you look through the letters, Jesus is the one of truth, not of lying. He will he will be stand on his word. It is a clear difference. And I think that is a great reminder. We as humans become the gods we serve. Think about it, Creedon used to worship. Zeus used to worship, a lot of them worship a lying, false God. What did they become? A lying, false people. And if you're following Jesus, what are you going to become? You're going to be someone that has truth, integrity, character. You can start seeing that in the way we live. Today's topic... That we're uh, talking about is roles and steps we are to take in a fallen culture paul challenges titus to appoint proper leaders in the proper and elders in the proper position these are not just men to fill the job they are to be godly self-controlled mature leaders and teachers of the church and as you have seen in the last couple of weeks, when we've been talking about, it's about having a proper, mature, being a family of God in the church, but also of home. Okay, there, we also can't be some way when we're at the church or in our in that building, but we also can't be another way when we're at home. We can't be one of integrity and character when we're around people here, but then when we go home, we're one of a cheating, lying. It's it can't be pick and choose when people see how that operates. And in these letters, you have to also imagine that when Paul is dealing with these Christian letters, that a lot of these homes that he's writing to, these homes are wrecked. These homes are like messed up. That's a lying, cheating culture. And and if you're dealing with that, think about all the family members. Think about even in Christian homes that we deal with today where you're supposed to be kind and compassionate. Think about all the brokenness still in in those homes. You think about these letters about different family members that don't get along, different family members that really felt God don't. There's this brokenness in this letter dealing with these people that at home and at church, there's brokenness. But I'll tell you one thing. Aren't we thankful for a gracious and loving God? One of grace. Well, let's look at Titus 2, 11 through 15. We, we go past this a little bit. I want to read this. It says in verse 11 of chapter 2, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, these then are the things you should teach. And we'll get into that in a little bit. You can just look through from two to whatever. How many times it says to teach, to teach, to teach. In verse 1, we talked about it says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate. Likewise, teach the older women. And as it finishes up in verse 15, you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. And the consistent challenge is not to hide the gospel, but to live and prove it in the public square. To live it out. Many times we say, "Yeah, I'm a Christian," but in no way we live it out in public. Here's the thing: many of us are like in this world. We see a lot of troubles coming, and I have conversations where people are like, "Yeah, I just want to go somewhere, live out my days, and then we'll die, and then I get to see heaven." We're not. We don't live in that. We're. We don't live in that function. We are to live it out in the public culture, public world. We live differently than the culture. And that separates to live an eager life of good. We cannot run and hide from the world. We must not be in and of the world. We must show Christ's love. Before I get to point number two, I'm going to have Brad come up. Uh, We were just talking about the discipleship... um, uh, part about him being the discipleship director and I want you to get to know his heart a little bit more but I also know mine about how to actually live this out in the culture that we are living in now it's one thing to say hey how do we actually do this what do we do so we we have a little bit of uh, a Q&A uh, I promise you uh we actually wrote down a few of the questions because we want to stay focused because me and him can just start going down rabbit holes uh so we promise not to try to do that but we love uh obeying what Jesus says, Jesus' example of to live it out, what Paul's saying here, to live it out. It's one thing to say, hey, hey, this is a great for creating culture, but if you haven't noticed, American culture is not that of bowing the knee to Jesus the same, I believe. I think it's pretty similar to falling back into these kind of practices, where we follow false gods, where we're out all over the place, I just saw that they were having this huge, oh, what's it called? I forget. It's like in Arizona where they have like a 28-day uh, like party. They listen to me. What? Burning Man. Burning Man. Well, right now, they did a big Burning Man. They just, uh, burned up a bunch of things, and now uh, a huge storm went through right after, and their people are all stuck there in mud and and stuck because uh, they were worshiping the false idols. I don't know if well, maybe God said that's enough. And uh, they're having trouble getting people out there because it is just a disaster zone over there now. Um, but don't tell me that we aren't a culture that worships false gods. Don't tell me we aren't a culture that still lies and cheats to get ahead. And so how do we combat that? How do we do that? And so uh, I'm excited to have this uh, sort of process and this conversation uh, with Brad here. Um, so, I'll ask the first question. I know you wanted uh, one of these, so I'll get—I'll give you this. Um, so this is new and exciting. Hi, Bradley. So. Hello. <laughs> A little bit different, but point number two uh, is uh, our Q&A. So if you're like, hey, I like that, or I want to ask questions, this is really to sort of see a little bit more of, hey, living out what Jesus uh, wants us to live out. And I think it goes well with uh, the rules. First question I have for you is, why aren't people, or why would people not disciple others? And what does Titus sort of say about that?
1: Yeah, so I think... It's interesting that, that um, Paul uses the word... We talked about this at Sunday school. Paul uses the word teach three times in the first three verses of Titus 2. Um, and as Brian was just up here and said, um, making disciples, discipleship, it's not optional. Um, it's a requirement for every believer. And in that commandment to make disciples, Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So teaching... Is a part should be a part of every Christian's life, but I think um, why would we not disciple others? Well, I think for me personally, um, it's kind of like I'm going to use an I'll use an NFL example because we're in that season right now. Imagine a quarterback who studies game film, knows every play in the playbook, knows the strategy, knows the the goal, the vision. Um, has all the knowledge that he needs but never actually wants to go in the game and play. I think that that's what can happen sometimes with discipleship is as Christians, we can know sound doctrine. We can, we can know all the right things. We can understand all the right things. We can gain a lot of knowledge but not actually want to participate because we're so busy consuming. And I think it's also a cultural thing you know, because it comes with kind of consumer Christianity. But I heard Robbie Gallaty say the other day, he's a, he's a pastor um, big on discipleship, and he said, the gospel came to you because it was headed to someone else. And if you think of it that way, um, discipleship is imperative. It, it's a requirement. It's so important. But I think sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in the consumer mindset that we forget that we have a mission that we forget that there's a responsibility behind it. And so to answer your question, I think the problem is twofold. I think that we can say it's the church. I think that we can say it's the consumer model. Um, that's part of it, but I think it's also, as you see in Titus two here, Paul's putting a requirement in front of them of, uh, you need to teach and not just teach in word, teach in action. Live it before people. That's sometimes the best, the best way to teach. And I know that for you, you've been on this journey of rediscovering discipleship. Because we've, I know we've talked over the last couple years. Um, and and it, this has kind of hit you in a new way. So ex- I guess the next question would be, what's discipleship look like for you over the, these past couple years?
0: Well... Just sort of jumping off of what you were just talking about, I find it interesting, too, is I love uh, the examples of he's teaching the old men, which uh, was funny. Jay uh, Jay yesterday in our discipleship group said uh, uh, old men are 60 and older, so I'm not there yet. So uh, there's the old men part, but there was also, if you look through, it talks women, but it also talks young men. Like It's not just, hey, you need to teach different people. It's like live it out, and it's a different – each person's at a different place. I would say discipleship really happened for me around 2017, 2018. I've been a youth pastor for about 13, 15 years, and uh, uh, through that process, and I started noticing the the struggle of youth kids going to college and then coming and being part of the church. What does that struggle look like? Why are they? leaving why are they not there what's the process they are even coming to church they say hey i want to help out with the youth i want to help out with that they still want to be a part but they weren't really going in church i was like what's going on why is there not this and i i think what what happened was i was like okay am i really doing discipleship well and trying to seek it and find what does true discipleship look like what does living it out really mean and i felt as going through the processes many churches are really key at opening the having people come in the front door like hey let's open the door let's have a big attendance let's let's have the front door but they're not really concerned about people slipping out the back and it's like hey I'm, I'm so worried about the front door that when people come in I'm not not worried about what's the process because I am okay with people leaving the church like going, but I don't want them to leave out the back door. I want them to leave out the front door where they're going on mission out into the world. I think so many times as people come in and they're like, hey, how do I get trained for this? How do I get love for this? And it's like, oh, I come in and I I serve, like I'm happy. And so many times pastors are like, hey, I, you know, I really like meeting you, Billy, you know, like you're really nice, and it's all of a sudden, it's like, hey, I'll build a friendship, but hey, do you have any friends you can bring? And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, Billy brings uh, John. Oh, Oh, now I'm worried about John, and you've already bypassed Billy, and not really done true discipleship. We're so worried about the next person that I saw that as an American culture, because that's the way it was viewed as success, is the numbers and the process. And so I was like, okay, how do we do true discipleship? How do we uh, help close the back doors? Not, you know, not to trap people in, but to actually like, hey, let's train them, support them to build, uh, build up so that they are in the world called to actually disciple in their world, in their neighborhood. Because I could I'm in a different position than every single other person out here. There's people that are retired. There are people that are uh, go to work every day, and they go in different groups, and that's who they're supposed to go out and witness to and love, and how do we help train them? So that was a big turning point for me. And the, uh, the final thing I'll say on this is one big thing for me as well was I've heard so much that the church is a hospital. Church is a hospital, and that's where sick people can come and be uh, be healed. Uh, my big thing is, well, then we better have doctors prepared. We better have doctors because if we don't have doctors, all we're doing is bringing sick people in together gather in a, in a hospital that with a bunch of sick people and maybe one or two doctors that are doing the work. And we need a lot more doctors to go out and do the work. And so that's something that's been passionate uh, for me uh, for quite some time as we've talked. So. Yeah,
1: and I I just want to, I'm just going to take a moment to build on that because I think um, the model, the church model in America, I guess the model that I've seen in a lot of churches in America is based on activity, not on transformation. And when we base things on activity, we're saying that's that's the goal. Having a lot of activity, having classes, having programs, having a lot of people, having a lot of buildings, having a lot of money. That's activity-based. And I think that when you read Titus, you see, no, uh, what it's about is transformation. Sound doctrine is about transformation, not activity. And so if transformation is the goal, how do we structure things in a way that's producing transformation? So that when people come in, they understand like, oh, this is a place of transformation. This isn't just a place of consumer of activity, but this is a place of transformation. Um, when you look at uh, scripture, a good example is Daniel 5, King Belshazzar. In Daniel 5, King Belshazzar, this evil king, he's thrown this big drunken feast. And he brings out the gold and silver vessels, which were plundered from Israel, and they use them in a blasphemous manner. And it's this, it's this horrible thing. It's this horrible feast with sin and debauchery and all this stuff. And this is that passage where He sees a hand writing on the wall and no one knows what he's writing. No one can interpret it. And he brings Daniel in um, to, to interpret it. And one of the interpretations of one of the words that Daniel gives him is, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And what we can learn from that is that God doesn't count people. He weighs them. It's not about how many people we fill our churches with. It's about the spiritual transformation, the depth, the maturity that God is concerned about. And so I think that, to go along with what your point is, somewhere along the line, we've gotten off in our thinking that um, counting is more important than weighing, right? And and so why is discipleship so important? Because that's the expectation that's the great commission that's the way that we transform people that's the mission um and it's not as brian i'm going to keep saying it it's not optional right brian said it this morning it's not optional the great commission is for every believer and so um we're going to be held accountable individually we're going to be held accountable corporately um and the measurement that god's using of success quote unquote in the church is we have to make sure that it's apples to apples. We have to make sure that our mission is lining up with what God's expectations are. He's not I don't now, does that mean that God's not interested in how many people get saved? No, of course he is. Don't hear what I'm what I'm not saying, but his primary concern is transformation and I think that that's where we have to align with that's where discipleship aligns with this is sound doctrine and transformation exactly what titus is uh all about here um and i think this fits perfectly with kind of another question that i wanted to ask you because i've heard you say this before i've heard you say that um like sometimes people think the pastor only reaches out because they want you to attend like oh he only reached out because he just wants me to come to his church type of a thing and i got that too and my previous setting and my as a pastor I would get that. So how do you how do you address that or respond to well, that?
0: Well, I think it just plays into the cultural part where culturally people think, "Hey, he's being nice uh because he wants me to keep going." Now, I think I'm a nice guy. No. <laughs> but I I do struggle with that because I feel like it's a, a misplaced uh that I generally have uh been given like This position because i feel like god wants me to actually humble myself and love others and guide people and um i i think that's always a hard part because i know that sometimes people are always going to see like hey the church is is going to manipulate this situation or it's going to do that and i think that can be a struggle because i think it's when it when the church is really about relationships and i think when i say relationships as helping relationship with God, uh, pursuing, and then also your own relationships, like how that, that works when people are struggling. How do you deal with that? How do you come alongside? That's the kind of church church I want to be, and that's the kind of person I want to be. Also, as when, you know, and uh, I even had a good conversation this, uh, this last week of being like, hey, if, if you would go to the other church, I'd still love you. I care for you because I care more about your spiritual well-being than I do the numbers that's not what God's going to judge me on now of course like the human side I want to because I built relationship with you I like you and know you and want that for it but I I too must always go by God's scale not man's scale and like you said like it's not like God like of course he wants more people to find him of course he wants us to handle our budget well of course he wants to do those things but if that is our end goal then it will always, that will always show up, and that will always show up, and then you could say, hey, that's what uh, Pastor John's about, or hey, that's what uh, Brian's about, or whatever, but those aren't the things that we're about, and I I think everyone knows it that's in this room, but it's also good, because when we live it out, I think we have to live it out, because I think so many times, too, we live it out, it's like, oh, I, uh, uh, because I think that, it, but it's also the culturally, because I think a lot of people also say, oh, the re- only reason he's loving me is because he wants me to go to that church. It's just not a pastor. It's also like living it out. And I think that's where you, we have to be genuine. And, and we can only do that by transform lives. We can't love people well enough if we're doing it on our own. We have to live it through Christ, Christ love. And if we love people well, then that's when true life change happens. And then that can also impact other people's lives. That, we, that we're with all the time. Uh, I get to ask a question since I s- felt like you slipped I two skipped. in. I yeah, I saw that. Uh, uh, so, if discipleship is the mission of the church, what is the strategy to get people there?
1: So, I think that a big part of it is because we're culturally kind of engulfed in a consumer model, I think we need to shift our mentality from. Not, not, from, not to a menu, because I think right now, a lot of times in a lot of churches, it's a menu. It's a come in, oh, pick what you want. Oh, you're interested in this program. Okay, you're interested in this class. Um, I think we need to shift from a menu to a map. So it's not just about feeding people. It's about journeying a path together. And not just any path, but a path of discipleship, because that's the method that Jesus used. So... Um, Here's the thing, the strategy, because your question is, what's the strategy to get people there? The strategy is not my strategy. I'm not smart enough to have a strategy, okay? The strategy is already in scripture. The strategy is Jesus. If we believe that scripture is is the inspired word of God, and we believe that it's true, and we believe that it's useful, and it's for instructing us, and it's sound doctrine, and we're going to follow it, And it's and it's totally true, then we have to also agree that the methods used within the Bible are inspired. And I'm not talking about the methods of like the evil kings in the Old Testament. (laughs) I'm talking about the methods of godly men and women and, and definitely the methods of Jesus, right? So, what was the method that Jesus used to transform people? Well, let's think about the people that Jesus interacted with, the crowds? Uh, very minimally, minimally, okay? Yes, he spoke to the crowds, but that wasn't the primary part of his ministry. It's not where he spent the most time. Uh, the larger group of believers, we see him interacting with like the 70 or 72 when he sends them out in er, early in uh, Luke 10. Um, then there's the 120 at the end of his ministry. So there's the larger congregation of believers we see him interact with, but that's not the main focus of his ministry either. The group that he was mainly focused on was who? The 12 disciples. The 12 disciples are who he focused on. And within those 12 flawed men, I might add, he really poured into who? He really poured into th- to three men Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John got to see and experience more than any other disciple. Peter, James, and John, they were in Jesus' D group. They got to live life with him. Now, of course, the context is different. I was fortunate enough to be discipled one-on-one by a pastor in Columbia City. Shout out to Hank Workman. And and before that, I was discipled by my parents. And so I think there is one-on-one discipleship, and that's ideal. But I think that Jesus um, showed, he spent 90%, if you look through the scripture, he spent 90% of his time with the twelve. So he's showing us what the priority is by his method, by how he does it, and that's the inspired model. So I can't come up with a better model than Jesus. I shouldn't try to come up with a better model than Jesus. Jesus invested in people, and he did it intentionally, uh, and he did it for three years. Then he turned these guys loose, and they transformed the world, right? And so I think that when you talk about um, the method, this is why we are incorporating D groups it's not something you and I thought up it's it's what is in scripture it's um you know our D groups bible studies they're they're kind of bible studies but no they're not are they small groups a small group could meet for decades and never replicate itself what you see with Jesus's model is he pours into these men and then they go make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and there's a replication pattern and that's i think the heart of what a d-group is. That's what we're trying to get at.
0: And from that has led to our salvation. They've replicated so much that it's replicated to where, if you're a believer in here, it's because someone long ago, continued that process of spreading the gospel, of sending the gospel, and to to continue to do that. And I think it's a great mixture of discipleship and evangelism. I think so many people are like, well, are you just staying in here? No, like, no, The if you're doing this uh, discipleship, then you are able to reach your community better. You're able to reach uh, the, your loved ones better. You're able to do that because it's the scripture doing. It. It's not an idea that we came up with. It's actually just trying to actually follow the scripture to the letter of the T.
1: Follow Jesus. Yeah. Follow his method.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. and follow that.
1: So, so here's, here's like the big question. If discipleship is the priority, then where, where does this fit in? Where do Sunday mornings uh, fit into that?
0: It plays a huge part because it's still about uh, community. It's still about worship. It's still about gathering together. It's still, um, it's still about being together in all of this. It's, we're called to gather together. We're called to worship. We're still called to, to do that, but we're also called to go make disciples. Uh, and that's the big thing uh, that I'll go back to is, is I want to have us leave through the, through the front door instead of the back door where we are focused on training people, loving people, gathering together in the church structure, but also gathering in our homes, gathering in our neighborhoods, gathering so that we see the world as Jesus does. See the world as the disciples did when after they were sent out to go out and make disciples, go loving in their community and then continue to gather and they continue to, that's why I find it so awesome in all Paul's letters. Like I cannot wait to get back with you to worship. I cannot wait to get back with you because there is that community and there's that community and family love here. And I believe that. And I can't wait to get back here to do that. But we're also called not just to do ministry here, we're called to do it in our neighborhoods and, uh, as well. And so uh, that's, where, that's where I think uh, uh, executing what Jesus has laid out before us is so key. Yeah. So we'll end with this question. Uh, based on the conviction God has placed on your heart, what do you believe the identity of living hope should be? as, you know, and uh, I wanted you guys to get to know his heart a little bit more because, you know, he's going to be taking part of the discipleship uh, director role, what his role is. So what do you, what do you sort of uh, perceive?
1: Well, I think that our churches have to look like Jesus, obviously. And so as we've outlined, um, you know, I think that the church needs to be a training center for discipleship, for disciple making. I think that that's what you see when you look at the the churches that Paul established throughout scripture um, you see that the expectation is is transformation and and the finish line is not um salvation the finish line is not baptisms um the finish line it, it's it's really the finish line is the second coming I think <laughs> like what well, the second coming is like when we can relax but until then it's 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 replication, right? It's ongoing. It's like the, the the quote that I said earlier from Robbie that I love, Robbie Gallaty, where the you know salvation came to you because it was headed to someone else. Um, I think that that's been lost a little bit in, in our culture and and so the identity I hope would be an identity of both transformation but also um, discipleship, but also replication, um, not just. Uh, discipleship, but also evangelism. I think that they both, like you said earlier, they, they, those go hand in hand. They're married together. If we're being discipled, we should also be evangelizing. Um, and so, uh, so, yeah, my prayer is that, the, uh, that our identity, our personal identity, would be rooted in Christ and that our corporate identity would be rooted in Christ, not just, um, not just who he is, but I, I think the way that he did things as well was important. And so I just, I just want to be faithful to trying to do things the way that Jesus did them.
0: I think that's great. Um, I know today was a little bit different uh, in uh, the Q&A kind of part, but I also want you to see Brad's heart, but I also want you guys to process where your heart is. What are you doing? Are you executing what the Bible says? Or are you executing what American culture has told you? Or are you executing what God has told you to do and how to uh, demonstrate to live it out because this world will consistently try to to pull you and can pull you into its ways and it comes in like it comes in very very like a snake like comes very you don't even know and then all of a sudden you're off by miles where you were just off by inches, and so we want to continue that, and so I wanted that, uh, Brad to show your heart, and that, and I also want you to feel free to ask him questions, to say, hey, I disagree with you on this. Uh, uh, Brad has no problem with that. He actually likes it. Uh, uh, I, I like that Q&A because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to wrestle with it. Why are we doing what we're doing? I think that's important, and so the reason why I also thought this was so wise is because as a church family, we need to know what we're doing, but also as your home life, uh, some of you like are at the age where you still can disciple your kids. You still have that opportunity. Some of you, your kids are grown and the level of discipleship that you have towards them are different. They're different, they aren't the same anymore. And so there's also this home life that you deal with. And, uh, and that is part of the church and that's what is gathered around. But I-, I want you to, if you are still having those kids at home, don't waste the time to disciple them. Don't waste it. And if you still have kids that maybe have gone astray, you still can pray for them. You still can, you're still influenced on them. You're still a parent to them, even no matter how you, they perceive you. And so I encourage you wherever you're at, at home or, far, or, or here or if you're kids uh, or you don't have any kids, it doesn't matter. You still have a discipleship of influence and we'd love to talk to you more about that. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer. And if you have any questions, please uh, see us in the back. Learning Father, I thank you so much for this time. May we be obedient. Uh, may we uh, listen to the letter as Paul would be writing us. It's so much as Titus has a great opportunity. When he gets the letter, he can choose to listen or he can choose to do what he wants to do or run it the way he does. I believe Titus would listen into the words of God. And I pray that we in here listen to the word of God. Not what Brad and John are saying, but what the word of God says of how to live out Jesus in our life, to live out Jesus in our family, to live out Jesus in the church. And here's the funny thing, too, is we might even be the kid and we can still disciple our parents because we have the truth. We know the truth. We don't have these false myths, these false beliefs like that of Zeus, of like that of Crete, that of liars. We have that of truth, of knowledge, of God. And when we can rest in that, then that's when we can put our foundation on and then we can disciple others because truth cannot be defeated. And I pray that our foundation is on Scripture and Scripture alone. I thank you so much for this time. May we live our lives obedient to you. We love and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. May you have a blessed and wonderful week.